0: We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical.
1: Just one more thing.
0: Hey, now. Oh, boy.
1: Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one word. What is the other way?
0: When are these days? Are we having fun yet? It's gonna be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Bertie Hellens agreed. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening.
2: Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Hand on Slaves TV podcast. This is Kate Kalzik and I'm joined once again by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going?
1: Yeah, uh, It's, <laughs> you know, I don't recommend anything I'm doing right now not having root
2: canal surgery
1: i i would recommend not needing a root canal i would recommend not changing cities in the midst of needing a root canal and i would recommend uh, just generally being better at the things i'm trying to do but (laughs) you know whatever it's if if someone could just if i could just like skip the next two months of life that would be ideal but i guess that's probably not going to happen Anyway, we television.
2: So television. Well, I, but before we get t- to the television of the week, lots of uh, finales this week to talk about. But I first want to mention some of the, the, the comments, the tweets we got this week. Um, I had a lot of fun talking with Ken about the Oxford comma and how it is correct and people who don't use the Oxford comma are wrong. Of course, Ken doesn't use the Oxford comma. That's when you have thing A, comma thing B, comma and thing C. Some people don't think there should be a comma before the and, and they're wrong. I, I hope uh, so, you weren't
1: explaining to me what an Oxford comma is because I know what an Oxford comma is.
2: I'm sure, yeah, you, know, you never know who, who what listeners will be familiar with. It's also called a serial comma.
1: And for the record, I am not a comma fascist. I think if you want to apply it, go for it. If you don't, that's your right.
2: <laughs> it's my new pet peeve. Uh, for, well, I swear, I spend more time in editing things, correcting commas and placement with dependent clauses and serial commas and all sorts of things like that more than anything else. So apparently it's many thing Anyways, so talk about that. We talked about some community. We talked about Grimm. Also talked about Grimm with um Mario. Lots of because uh, they just had their finale this week, which was pretty interesting and uh and cast's review for that, by the way, is up at Sound On site. And so we were talking about Juliet and her role on the show and some of the different things about the about Grimm, which has really been surprising for me. It's it's turned out a lot better than I expected, I would say. Um, then we also I also heard from Amanda, who is – apparently we are one of the four podcasts she listens to, so thank you very much, Amanda. Huzzah! Yes, and she also – she just started a new podcast, Keijo and Chris, which I need to check out. Uh, she's an animator, so it should be a, a, a fun one. And uh, we're in good company because she also um, listens to Masterpiece Cinema, which is another mm-hmm. one of the Sound on Sight shows.
1: Speaking of Masterpiece, I was actually talking with Josh a little bit about the whole Dan Harmon controversy – and, you know, fandom. And we'll, 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 you know, we'll get to that when we talk about community.
2: Mm-hmm. We
1: we have fun things to say about that.
2: <laughs> and I have a feeling we might be disagreeing on that. So it, I don't know, we'll see. It should be fun. Then we also, I also talked with uh, TNRLM a little bit and Keith about Supernatural and their fabulous uh, montages that they do right before the end of every season. And we'll, t- I'll talk about that a little bit more when I talk about the, my review of the finale. But uh, yeah, so lots of different uh, finale talk this week. So, that was a lot of fun talking yes. to you guys. Yes,
1: and hopefully, hopefully, we have a better track record than last week, which I recall having some pretty mixed, spotty, yeah, mixed, mixed finales. And I will do, I will do my best to support your supernatural talk, even though I've never seen an audio of it. <laughs>
2: I still so want somebody to talk supernatural with I was trying to think of someone I could have as on as the show and to do record like a like a twenty minute thing to put out in the middle of the week or something about the show, but I don't really know any other critics who still watch the show and have seen it all at this point.
1: Well it's only what, like a hundred and sixty episodes or something?
2: 149. That's not, that's a lot. It's a lot. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, um, we, we have a new rating at iTunes. So thank you mystery person. Cause, uh, we're now up to five stars. So thank you very much. Whoever, uh, dropped, uh, by iTunes and left us a rating there. It was, it's very helpful. It helps people, other people find the show and know that apparently we're doing a pretty good job here. So we always appreciate feedback. Um, also at sound Insight this week. I'm going to have an article up. I'm still ironing out exactly how i'm going to i think i'm going to talk about finales and shows get that can get off track and whether they can get back I, I don't want to you know lock myself in too definitely but something like that um and there's some other stuff going on at the site too
1: uh well it's david cronenberg month so we've had a few articles going up i actually i have a, a one in my brain that i really should take some time to write and hopefully i will um, but of course, we'll have uh, we're seeing Cosmopolis very near the end of the month, so we're going to do another David Cronenberg show shortly after that. Um, all kind we're we're in the middle of sort of a French film period, so we we've got a um, Rick's birthday show is all French films that's going to be up in the next uh, 24 hours, and we're doing a set of films about uh, about or set in and around uh, um, Paris 68 for obvious reasons if you're following what's going on in, here in Quebec. Uh, so do stay tuned for that.
2: And speaking of stay tuned, at the end of the podcast we have our DVD shelf segment with Mo Ryan from Huffington Post and Talking TV with Ryan and Ryan. We we got to talk Lost with her. It was so much fun. Uh, you got you watched Lost. You'd never seen it.
1: I people will, and I I know people in reality who have found this utterly insane. I watched 120. Actually, I, there are 121, but I watched 120. There was a DVD issue with one episode. Listen to the spot to find out which but um yeah i watched the entirety of lost for this segment which many many people cursed me out for <laughs> it this it, i dare i say this is a show that some people have opinions about Just especially people bit. who haven't watched it
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> um so yeah so that's coming at the very end of the show and until then let's go ahead and start our uh, week in tv and let's let's go right to wednesday and the suburgatory finale the motherload um now this is one of the shows you've been in and out with but you checked in for the finale
1: Yeah, and Suburgatory is an interesting case, because even though I watch shows like New Girl and Happy Endings probably more consistently, I feel like Suburgatory needs less work. Like, it needs fewer improvements to be be a great show. Like, I, I feel like all the ingredients are there, they just haven't quite figured out how to make it work all the time. Like, it's had some effective dramatic moments and a lot of great comedic moments, and it's got a great cast, it's just i feel like it hasn't had any episodes where everything really came together and i thought this actually kind of came close uh especially s- some of the dramatic moments near the end were, were really clicking and then it c- kind of dropped the ball in that last 30 seconds in a in a major way for me mm-hmm. uh, i don't know what did you think
2: well i think i'd absolutely agree about the ending it really didn't work for me um I, I, clearly we knew the the grandmother was going to show up it had been teased uh i was hoping it would actually be the mother not the grandmother it and that just that feels like, like they're trying to hold out on for some stunt casting. It didn't feel honest that it was the grandmother and not the mother. But who knows where they're going with it? Um, as far as the re- the rest of the episode goes, I think the the most succinct and uh, accurate description of this episode for me is actually something that Josh Beagle from Foster Peace Cinema said on Twitter. That, you know, after watching it, which is, I wish this show was as good as Jane Levy's performance because she's really good in this finale and i think you know the, there's a lot of different strengths to this show i agree that it it with just a little bit of tweaking it could be really really strong but i think they're just they've taken some left turns that haven't quite worked the alicia silverstone plotline uh, or character really hasn't worked for me And so at the end of the episode, when we have uh, her being so frustrated at George, it still bugs me that she calls him George, um, because of this relationship with his girlfriend and feeling excluded. I'm not exactly sure why she's um, so ready to run away from her caring, loving father and not see him all summer. I don't know. It just it didn't really work for me.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I sort of missed some of those plot points by not seeing the last few episodes, but I agree that the Alicia Silverstone character is sort of, I don't know, like like there there is some nice comic moments, and actually they get away with a line um, after an attempt at pregnancy sex, which struck me as being insanely risque. So <laughs> good for getting through the censors on that one. It was the bit about the tracheotomy. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I'm I'm hoping that they can really rally their their strengths and and and. Emily Kapnick was a writer on Parks and Rec, and that was a show that took, you know, that took a little while to find its footing as well. I'm just drawing conclusions based on things that aren't really connected, but you know, I'm just hoping that that's the way it's going to work out.
2: Well, and it's one of the new shows that that I've stuck with that you're still willing to check in on. So clearly, it's doing something right.
1: Yes, yeah. and there aren't many of those.
2: Uh, let's move on to Community on Thursday. And now they aired three episodes. You watched the finale because you're not a community guy. You weren't going to watch all three. Hell no. I'll just say quickly about the first two episodes. Digital Estate Planning was their eight-bit episode. I thought it was actually... At first, I was pretty nervous about the episode as it started. It seemed like it was going to quickly run out of steam. But I thought they did a good job of making it, again, about character as opposed to just the gimmick. I'm really interested and excited to... To have Giancarlo Esposito in the mix, and theoretically they can bring him back now as Pierce's half brother. So I, I that that should be fun. He was good in this episode, and I think there's a lot of potential there for the future if Chevy Chase is on the show. And then there's the first Chain Dynasty, which was their um, like Ocean's Eleven heisty kind of episode, and that one really didn't work for me. It just it, it went to eleven too quickly, and uh, so while I enjoyed the the parody element of it when It turned out to be a reveal upon a reveal upon a reveal. It was too much and kind of fell apart uh, for me. It was too heightened and it didn't quite work. I know a lot of other people really enjoyed it, though. And then we had Introduction to Finality, Season, Potential Series Finale, um, because at the time they didn't know if they were going to be coming back. Anybody who's listened to the show knows that you've expressed your uh, issues or or problems with community in the past and that you
1: you don't really like it. Well, it's it's not so much that I don't like community; it's the community doesn't like me. Uh, you know, I, I I honestly think that if I went back and watched the first season again, I would still enjoy it. It was somewhere midway through the second that I realized that it was it had begun to do things with its characters and and sort of go too high concept, and it just totally lost me. And every once in a while, when I hear that an episode is great, I try again, and then I remember that it's that the The connection was severed at some point, and it just it just doesn't come back uh, for some sometimes that can be reestablished, but something about it just just irks me, and the finale wasn't any different for me um i mean the the whole plot line at which you know having missed a bunch of episodes i didn't I still didn't have any trouble following the whole thing with Troy and air conditioning school was just i'm sorry horribly lame uh it was such a strange use of of John Goodman, I don't know. I don't know none of the none of the emotional beats were really new they keep hammering the same message about friendship and and yes community and how it's good to be a good person and I don't know it's just all very banal and and they've been hammering those same thematic notes since the first episode and I'm, I don't know it it does nothing for me but that's not that but that's nothing new
2: Yeah I I definitely I had a lot of problems with this finale and I feel like I'm the only one who normally watches and enjoys the show, who did. And I guess my, my biggest problem with this finale, I, I enjoyed the Pierce and Shirley court case thing. I thought that worked and was entertaining enough and and uh, and just and fit very much the theme of the episode and the theme of the show. The thing with Troy's thing, I mean, it kind of... It, it was less successful, but it still worked. My big problem with this episode is what where they go with Abed. Uh, because for a show that... <laughs> is about friendship and community, like like you just said. They have been so wildly inconsistent with his character that I, I get really frustrated. And in this episode, he has a full psychotic break. And he decides he's going to go cut off his friend's arm. And I think, actually, a lot of credit should go to Danny Pudi that part of the reason that it didn't work for me is that he played it so straight and so well. They went for, you know, his performance was was really strong. But I don't think that's funny. And I think for a show that is so clearly about friendship, no no one is a real friend to Abed because nobody gets him help. This is not the first time that they've decided to... They keep going back and forth between the character. Is he adorably quirky but harmless? Or is he in serious mental health? Uh, you know, is is he have does he have serious mental health issues? And the the Claymation episode was one of these. And they every now and again they yeah. bring it back just when it seems convenient for the kind of story they want to tell or episode they want to tell without having any sort of realism or continuity to the character. And so for me to try to keep mining laughs out of somebody who's clearly very sick and needs help and is for people who claim to be his friends, nobody's cares about him Mm -hmm. it just feels really false Uh, and so it really frustrated me this week
1: yeah I, I think you've inadvertently hit the nail on the head as to why I've had a particular problem with Abed since I would say early season two or maybe even before that they never seemed to know just how to handle his you know his mental issues and maybe that's because they never decided exactly what was wrong I don't know, they never decided it was worth na- nailing down because they were having too much fun with sort of conceptual weirdness to, you know, pay attention to character. which To is sort establish
2: of, who their characters are.
1: Yeah, which has sort of always been my problem. Well, which since the mark I mentioned has been my problem with the show. Uh, so do we have anything else to say about the finale or should we talk about this showrunner drama?
2: Uh, let's talk a little bit about the, the showrunner drama. Uh, so now Dan Harmon has essentially been fired show's coming back for a 13 episode order they're gonna be on Fridays in the fall um, in in the seven o'clock hour I th- or wait, sorry I'm central time the eight o'clock hour I believe but so the show's coming back but Dan Harmon is not
1: everything spells doom basically
2: there's a lot of opinion out there on, on what various critics have to say about this what do you think
1: uh okay um for, first of all I would love to know I would love to see what happens if the show came back and was just Immeasurably, demonstrably better, and I would I, I would love to see how hard it would be for people to admit it. I don't think that's likely <laughs> to happen. I mean, just in general, a change of showrunner is is not something that a show recovers from immediately anyway. And they're and you know, honestly, if they get more than those thirteen episodes to do that, I would be very very surprised. Uh, that being said, I I'm I have mixed feelings about the whole thing. I think that getting fired on at like seven p.m. on a Friday night so that People So that people will hopefully not notice, which is the only reason to do that, is a dick move, no matter who you work for. Uh, On the other hand, you know, Harmon's proven himself to be, and this has been corroborated, you know, behind the scenes as well as what's happened very publicly with the whole tiff between him and Chevy Chase. I don't know. It's I I, I have sometimes wondered in the past if he's maybe more trouble than he's worth, especially considering my personal issues with the show. Which makes me totally an unreliable witness on this because I, I, you know, I can't say that I love the show, so I don't have that level of sympathy that I might have based on loving the work. So, but you, you're a bigger fan of the show than me, so maybe you feel differently.
2: I, well, first of all, I second the notion that it. I would love for the show to come back and be just as good, if not better, than ever. I think that would be hilarious and awesome, just based on the sheer number of people who've who have come out saying that there's no possible way the show can succeed without Dan Harmon. And I will agree with the overall sentiment that this show is very much his point of view and perspective. Uh, it's, it feels like a it's, a it's a unique show on television. There's another show like Community on TV right now. And so to take away the main creative voice from that does seem very strange and like it's you know probably not going to be something the show can recover from. Um, that be and I also will agree that the way that they fired him was just tacky and classless, and that's not how you should run your business.
1: And just to be clear, it, you know, media companies—it doesn't work in the internet age. It just makes you look like an asshole.
2: Yes. Um, now, all that being said, I have little to no patience for difficult creative geniuses, for people who are so, uh, so special and talented that. That the, their lack of social abilities or uh, just, you know, cu- common courtesy are forgiven or explained away, that are not held to the same standard of general behavior because they're so very brilliant. The rest of us figure out how to not make everybody want to punch us in the face. I'm pretty, as I t- told you, I'm pretty sure that's what middle school is for, the sole purpose. Um, and so when someone uh, just decides they don't need to, to, to be professional in their demeanor and in their work, I have very little sympathy for for them getting fired. No matter how brilliant they are, you know, if 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 he could play well with others, this wouldn't be happening right now. So that doesn't change we, the we fact assume. that well, we yes, assume. In one one assumes, yeah, that's true. Um, but yes, they shouldn't have fired him in this way. He also should not have put himself in the position to be so easy for the, for the, for them to want to fire him without even talking to him about uh, about you know we need you to change your behavior we need you to you know stop coming in over budget stop coming in late stop having childish squabbles with the, one of your stars in the press so we'll see i'm i have a feeling the show will probably suffer for this i don't you know i look forward to seeing what happens um, the fact that so many of the head creatives Types over there, uh, head writers, uh, are leaving at the same time is also not a good sign.
1: Yeah.
2: But it's also hard for me to feel too bad for, for somebody who has, by all accounts, been a dick to work with for quite a while.
1: <laughs> well, by, by the accounts of... To, to be fair, I mean, the, the cast members and writers have come out in his defense.
2: Mm-hmm, that's uh, true. But
1: that's, but that's also a little different. I mean, who knows? May, maybe Sony will come out one day and say, oh, no, we only... We only got rid of him because of ratings or I don't know. We'll, yeah. we'll see how it pans out. But I, I definitely I definitely see where you're coming from. And that being said, uh, people do occasionally want to punch me. So <laughs> I have some sympathy in, in that respect.
2: Let's move on to the 30 Rock finale. What will happen to the gang next year?
1: So, um, I mean, we found out over the last couple of weeks that there's only one more season of 30 Rock. And it's going to be a short one, which I think we can both agree is a very, very wise move because this is I mean the seasons had some had some pretty strong episodes and has had a lot of very middling ones. This to me was more on the middling side. I get really I, I feel awkward watching it whenever they drag out the Kim Jong Il thing. It's, it's it's not a good look for them. Uh, on the other hand, everything to do with uh, Tracy Jordan calling Cornell West quest Love was was fantastic and I, I liked his little, False journey of self discovery. Everything else was very hit or miss.
2: I'm definitely going to miss uh, Liz with Banks on the show. I, I would assume she'll not be there. And I i thought the stuff with Liz worked, and uh, I, I hope that they keep James Marsden around for a while. I think I, I was somewhat annoyed by the clear note of, oh, are they going to get these two together uh, with Jack and Liz at the end of the episode? Uh, if only because. They've made that joke and they've moved past it, and so now to drag it back up as we head into the home stretch of the series it feels really tired. So I'm, I'm hoping that th- that was not the motivation for break- for getting Avery out of the picture. I doubt it. Um, that being said, I I thought the s- some of the flashbacks worked really well. The the
1: tapping the homeland style, uh, codes. tapping tapping <laughs> yeah. codes.
2: I thought I thought that that worked, and so yeah, I agree that a shortened final season makes sense, and we'll we'll see what I we'll see what these people move forward and do. I, I'm sure that Tina Fey will have lots of great uh, output, creative output after Thirty Rock is over. So,
1: mm-hmm.
2: I mean, I haven't. It's been stronger this year than in some of the years past, but I it's not appointment television for me anymore, and I think I that they I have a feeling they'll. They'll come in with a renewed sense of, of vigor for these closing string of episodes. So I, I look forward to, to yeah. seeing the final season.
1: And hey, 13 is a good number since, honestly, there were probably 13 good episodes this season.
2: Yeah, I, I think I think that's a good number and a nice way to, to take the show out. But um, let's move on to Awake and the part one of their finale, Two Birds.
1: Oh, boy. I, I, I always get depressed when a, when a serialized show, when you, when you know that it's going to be over, and you just you have you know that there's no way in hell they're gonna they're gonna tie up everything they need to and you're just gonna have like lingering mysteries that just go off into infinity in some obscure direction. Uh, I think they did a pretty good job of putting Michael in peril this week. I mean, it doesn't really get much worse than being in jail in one reality and got shot in the other or wherever it is he's he's been shot. Mm-hmm. It also never occurred to me that having a show that set in multiple realities means you have twice as many characters to kill off. That's true. So, um, I, th- I thought it was a it, well. I guess it would be a ballsier move to kill off one of the birds if there was, you know, more than one episode left. But still, ballsy in theory. <laughs> um. So yeah, it, it 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 was nice to have uh sort of more movement and, and and basically no sort of and actually absolutely no sort of half half-assed procedural elements sort of mucking things up this week.
2: Yeah, I I would agree. And uh, yeah, I did not see that coming. I did not think that they were actually going to kill Steve Harris in one of the worlds. So that you know I thought they did a good job of balancing the the two universes such that as it starts, you know, I, I, in the first half of the episode or two thirds of the episode, there's clearly one of the two universes that is a much better option to be real. If you're gonna, if it's gonna turn out that one of them is fake, there's clearly mm-hmm. one where he's in a much better situation, and that changes <laughs> to, yeah. by the end of the episode. So I thought they did a good job of balancing those out, and I'm looking forward to the finale.
1: Yes, if only because the preview for it looks insane.
2: It looks crazy. So if they're gonna go out, I hope they go out crazy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. If yeah, if you're if you've got to go out, if you've got to go out way too early, you may as well do it on your own terms, and those terms should be insane.
2: Yeah. So let's move on to to Friday and the Supernatural finale Survival of the Fittest or as it was originally titled, far more entertainingly, Get Dick. You don't watch Supernatural, you've never seen it. I really enjoy the show. Um and as as I mentioned earlier in the in the podcast Every year on Supernatural, uh, starting with the second season, they do, before the finale, they do their, you know, previously on thing where they kind of sum up the entire season in about a minute. And every year it's set to Carry On Wayward Sun by Kansas? Kansas. By Kansas. And it's an awesome song. Yes? Sure. Seriously? <laughs> no love no love for Kansas?
1: I'm I'm not going to lie and pretend I sit around all day listening to Kansas, but... It's you a know, good if,
2: song. Anyways. Sure. Uh, but uh, it's also very, very fitting for the, the characters on the show and the themes of the show. It it works really well. And it also, it's established a tradition of this is how the finale always starts. And so every time when you get to the finale, I just I get kind of goosebumps and I get excited. And it doesn't matter if I've been kind of dreading the finale. All of a sudden, I'm pumped and ready to go. So... Of course, when I was writing my review for this finale, I went to YouTube and started a YouTube spiral of watching all the previous uh, seasons, uh, you know, catching up, you know, their Carry On Wayward Son montages. And doing this, has, unfortunately, has reminded me that I used to love this show. uh, And I don't anymore. I like it. It's fun. It's diverting. It's entertaining. But I used to really, really like this show. And roundabout season... Season 2 it kicked in, season 3 it got pretty strong. By the season 5, this was a really good show. And it's not that anymore, and it's really disappointing.
1: Well, I think that's the hallmark of a show that that's just gone on too long, isn't it? When you when you shift mm-hmm. from it it's it's very rarely very rarely does it just jump off a cliff and become horrible. It's just a gradual realization of this is, you know, not quite what it used to be.
2: Well, and it's such a it's a, such a rare thing in that this is a show, and the, other, the only other example that I can think of to compare to is Babylon 5, where there was a clear five season arc, there was a clear narrative drive, where by, by the middle of season three, you kind of realize, oh crap, they've been planning this all the whole time, and so the the narrative urgency is pushing through to the season five finale, and then it ends, and the show got renewed, and nobody was really expecting it to get renewed, and then it got renewed again, and now it got renewed again, so the 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 series hasn't had the same it hasn't had the same urgency since they haven't really known what to do since that it's kind of like in buffy the buffy season 5 finale which i won't mention i guess in case somebody out there hasn't seen it but i know you have what do you do after that and right. season season 6 suffered from that a little bit with buffy and it's they've had a similar situation on supernatural um and now the, now they'll be changing showrunners they changed showrunners after season 5 they're changing showrunners, uh, for season eight in the fall, so I'm hopeful that maybe they'll be able to kind of bring the show back around. That someone with a, a new vision for where the show's gonna go will be able to help it out and put it back on track. But it's 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 just sort of disappointing.
1: Womp womp. I'm so. sorry.
2: I know I didn't really talk about the episode itself here. If you want to read what I thought about the finale, I was mostly disappointed, um, though there were, there were several, there are lots of, lots of humor, lots of good things in the finale as well, but as a whole, the, the season and the finale in its role as the culmination of all, several different arcs was disappointing to me. You can read my thoughts at Sound on Sight where I have my review. Lots of good comments there, by the way, as mm-hmm. well.
1: So pretty much similar to how we felt about Fringe, I guess.
2: No, for me, Fringe was more disappointing because it just didn't make sense, and mm-hmm. this feels more like a waste, wasted potential. And uh, it's, it's I have actually a very different reaction to to the two of them. Mm-hmm. Fringe annoyed me more, frustrated me more because it seemed they they just kind of took a direction and. At the end, it, you realize that what felt like half the season had been a waste of your time. And that didn't happen in Supernatural, but it also, uh, it just it feels like it's it, it was okay. It was fine. It was, you know, it was like the Grim Finale, a little stronger than the Grim Finale as far as likability and interest and, and all of that. But for a show that used to be really damn good, you know, it's just sort of a letdown.
1: Mm-hmm. Fair enough.
2: So let's move on to Bob's Burgers, which also had its finale. I didn't realize it was the finale until I was reading it on the description on my D V R, but Beef Squatch. Fuck you.
1: What the hell are you doing? Nine episodes is not a season of come on. How many episodes a season does Family Guy get? Like it's got it's gotta be more than nine. I don't watch (laughs) Family Guy. I don't know these things. But seriously, nine episodes? At least we know Uh. it's coming back. Yes, I'm very, very glad it's renewed. It's one of my it's such a even like a um, th- this I would consider to be a fairly mediocre episode of Bob's Burgers, and it was still loads of fun. I think this was one of those episodes where the main plot didn't do much for me, but there was th- there was all sorts of stuff around the margins that really worked. Like uh, I, I I really liked uh, Tina's little B plot and uh, sort of the the drama with the, with the TV hosts and their strange relationship and uh, all sorts of uh, neat little touches around the edges, even if you know. Beef Squatch himself got a little tiresome.
2: Yeah, the uh, I, I enjoyed the episode. It wasn't their best, um, but it was still. It, you know, I just I like spending time with these characters, and I was counting on having Bob's Burgers for a few more weeks here as we transition into <laughs> summer shows. Everything yeah. is ending.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be. We got a couple of weeks of, of dog days.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Pretty much
1: until Louie comes
2: back. Yeah, I, <laughs> I watched True Blood. That starts in June, uh, but. You think yeah. I can start
1: watching it and and yes, just I do. Make it up, okay, yeah. good. I'll do that.
2: <laughs> yeah, but um, so I guess for Bob's Burgers, uh, and I think that was Tom Lennon, right?
1: Yeah, that was definitely Thomas Lennon,
2: which was a lot of fun. I, I, you know, it was a fun episode. It's been a strong season. I'm definitely gonna go back and catch up with. There's so much of season one that I haven't seen, mm-hmm. so I guess that's how I'll fill some of my summer. But. But yeah, it makes me it it makes me glad that this show is able to come back, even though I know it's not the most talked about, um, I know it's not the most tweeted or buzzed about show, but it's consistent and it's it's just so much fun. So, I, I enjoyed the f- season. I'm so glad we added it to our rotation of shows to talk about every week. Totally. And uh, yeah, I'm gonna miss it.
1: Yep. Well, we'll we'll yeah, we'll have to wait till next year for our double our double dose of H. John Benjamin.
2: Yeah. But let's move on to Veep nicknames.
1: Oh Veep. I I really like what's happening with Veep. I I feel like um this this actually felt a lot like a season finale to me if only because they mm-hmm. wrapped up everything to do with the with the Clean Jobs Act and and they they're, they've really started to find great ways to use the cast to have them splinter off in pairs and this is what you should do with a comedic cast. Is you you should figure out which dynamics work best and, you know, sort of exploit exploit as many of them as you can. Uh, but, you know, the real reason that I think the show is coming into its own is it's figuring out what does and doesn't work. Did you notice what we didn't have this week?
2: <laughs> did the president call?
1: We did not have it. Did the president call? I was so happy that <laughs> with that alone made it maybe my favorite episode so far.
2: Though I will say I enjoyed the did the president call last week where she didn't even wait to hear the answer and just walked out the door as she mm-hmm. was asking
1: yeah, yeah, that's true. And th- that was a good segue into not doing into it. Into not doing
2: it, yeah. But no, I agree that the they've really gelled. And, yeah, you know, I've been. We, we've talked about the different cast members, you know, coming into the forefront in the pr- previous weeks. This week, I thought we got a lot more time with Reed Scott. I thought he was really funny and did a good job with Dan. And, uh, yeah, I'm just really, really getting to like this show. And so I, I would I definitely agree that it felt like a season finale with them wrapping up. Clean jobs. I guess that just leaves filibuster reform,
1: and obesity, and obesity, <laughs> right? And uh, by the way, and and I love how Selena, and I hate to keep drawing the thick of it comparisons, mm-hmm. but she gets more Malcolm Tucker every week, <laughs> and especially some of her some of the tirades we got. I or maybe that's just because the the swearing is getting better and more creative, which is yeah. which has been. And I wish I I need to start writing it down, especially <laughs> Anna Chlumsky's character had, had something this week that like yeah. a like a salad tosser full of fuck or something. I don't know. It was anyway, it was, it, 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 it's really, it's, it's coming together very nicely for me and I'm, I'm glad it's already renewed and there's to end it's, and hallelujah. It's still got like four episodes left.
2: Yeah. There's more episodes of, this first season of Girls, I was actually a little surprised by that, that Girls will be running a couple weeks after Veep finishes up here. But it's definitely improved a lot since the since the premiere. And yeah, it, it's one that's becoming more reliable to me as yeah. far as like it's one that I'm getting more excited to, to see every week. Mm-hmm. So that's and, that's I, and
1: I, I should also mention that I think one of my initial misgivings about the show in terms of its lack of specificity. I think that's sort of easing up as well as we get to know the characters a little better and mm-hmm. get some, some specificity of humor that way. And I think it's going to help make the show more timeless uh, yeah. in the future.
2: I liked what we got this week with Jonah, for example. Uh, taking him outside of his normal role mm-hmm. was a lot of fun. and Learning uh,
1: about his fructose intolerance.
2: <laughs> and his thrash metal uh, affinity. Uh, so, so, yeah, I think they're headed the right direction. But next, I'm going to talk about a show that you had never even heard of, which was hilarious to me.
1: I was pretty sure you made this one up.
2: Uh, So Sunday was the season premiere of American Ninja Warrior on G4. And now you had never heard of Ninja Warrior. Ninja Warrior is amazing. And is, it's a Japanese uh, game show, sort of, fr- uh, where they, it's an obstacle course. And the thing that makes it amazing is that it's insane. It is the hardest obstacle course you can imagine. And anytime anybody gets even kind of close to maybe making it to the last round, they make it harder. Three people have ever been beaten it ever you know gotten to the end uh so the first two rounds have to do with agility speed and strength and then the third round there's no time limit because it so destroys your arms that it, it, you can take as long as you want if you manage to complete it good for you you get to go to the last round which is uh you get 30 seconds or something like that to to climb now it used to be you would spider climb up two walls as they pulled away from each other and then climb a rope, um, now it's a it's a ladder it's like a rope ladder and then you climb hand over hand to a rope and it, it's just it's crazy awesome it's like Wipeout if Wipeout wasn't about watching people bounce a, a, off of giant balls but instead was watching people do amazing physical feats, anyway so they have American Ninja Warrior, um, it's not as awesome as actual Ninja Warrior, but it's one that I will check in with here and there as we wait to get to the finals at Mount Midoriyama, which is their actual obstacle course. There have been some, some good uh, athletes doing it so far, uh, so and I, I enjoy the format a lot. So I just wanted to spend a little bit of time pimping American Ninja Warrior because it's amazing, and anybody who's watching Wipeout should not be watching Wipeout, but should be watching Ninja Warrior. And if you can't see the original... Actual Ninja Warrior, American Ninja Warrior is a decent
1: substitute. In In terms of levels of awesomeness, it, it sounds like it's sort of analogous to original Iron Chef versus U.S. Iron Chef.
2: Oh, no, 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 no. Original Iron Chef is amazing. American Iron Chef is diverting, but nowhere near as fabulous. You're not going to get trout ice cream on American Iron Chef.
1: No, so, no that, that's what I'm saying. It It, it feels like there's like a similar quality gap between the two shows
2: for me. Uh, I, there's a much larger quality gap in iron chef, uh, between the original and this. So I feel it's closer because they do use, they use the same obstacles in American Ninja warrior, except that in the, uh, the preliminary rounds, there's no time limit. So it's just about being the fastest, but as opposed to, if you take more than I think it's 80 seconds, you just don't get to move on, which is how the Japanese one is. Um, so in the early rounds, anyways, uh, Fun obstacle courses, ridiculously strong, powerful people uh, who are shoe salesmen and crab fishermen and gas station attendants kicking ass. So I I enjoyed Ninja Warrior. But I've talked way too long about this. Let's talk about Mad Men, Christmas
1: Waltz. Yeah, let's do that. Uh, This was one of our two spotlight options this week and I think fell just just short, if -hmm. only because... Uh, there was so much going on that I needed more time to process it than just the 24 hours between watching it and recording this. So in, in a way, I guess we're doing the show a disservice. Um, lots, lots to to absorb. First of all, uh, Krishna Kinsey. Holy crap. I can't say I saw that one coming. Um <laughs> that you know even though it was it was funny and the the last scene with him and harry was really effective that was actually probably the least interesting part of the episode to me i don't quite understand what it is that lane's gotten himself into but i'm sure that it won't pan out in a, in a pretty way but i mean it, obviously the only thing that anyone's going to talk about from until the next episode of Mad Men is that are the many scenes we got of don and uh, don and joan mm-hmm. sort of Having a nice time near Christmas time, yeah. Because I, you just know that the don that like that the shippers are just doing horrible <laughs> things to themselves furiously right now.
2: Uh, yeah, Joan has gotten. She's gotten somewhat marginalized uh, since her her last episode. She's been in one or two scenes, uh, most of the episodes. They've been effective scenes. They've been useful and interesting. And Christina Hendricks is great in them. But she's definitely been missing. I've definitely been missing her in this season. And so I thought she was great this week. And it was about time that they featured her more and putting her with Don, I think makes a lot of sense. And I loved their reminiscences uh, of, you know, early in the season when he came to work there, that she was already there, that she was already ruling the roost, which is so Joni. And, yeah. and so, I, I mean, I think that Christina Hendricks, I think she's fabulous. I think, uh, I really hope she gets a chance to, to break out after Mad Men finishes up in the next, what is it? Year or two. That um, It looks like it's going to end. Um, because I think she really deserves to get some 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 good material to work with, and I'd love to see her do something different from from Joni.
1: Yeah, I, I hope you haven't seen you haven't caught any of her film appearances when she's not doing Mad Men, because boy does she not get the, yeah. the role she deserves.
2: Yeah, she she's fine in uh, Drive, but she gets like thirty seconds yeah, but, of screen time. <laughs> yeah,
1: let's let's not discuss what happens to her for like the five people who haven't seen it. Yeah. Um. But yeah, no, I agree, she's great. Um. And I. I, I I found the tone they strike with with them really interesting. Like it's they're halfway between it. it the, or this is just how it strikes me that it, it's seems like they're almost precisely halfway between chaste mutual respect and mm-hmm. attraction. Yeah, like it's it's ne- quite not neither quite here nor there. Mm-hmm. And it was great to to uh, juxtapose that with his coming home to uh, to Megan and her quite understandable sort of disgust at what he's been up to.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, and also, I I really enjoyed that scene when he comes home, because she's there and she's waiting and she hasn't eaten and she's as and you can see on his face that the the performance from John Hamm is fabulous in that in those those moments that this isn't what he expected because this is not how Betty would have handled him coming home late and and missing dinner, Betty mm-hmm. would have just gone off and he would there would be a cold plate of food sitting at you know something like that and so. Yeah, I was. I thought that that scene was really great. And I would say, I know, apparently, I keep hearing that people don't like Megan or feel like there's too much Megan this season. I think she's been great, and I think they've used her really well. Um, it would be nice that they were able to have an episode that had Megan and Joan in it. But, um, but yeah. no, I thought that scene worked really well. And I agree. I think that what works so great about Joan and Don sharing scenes together is is that you can see that you know that they you, they both really respect each other and they they're both gorgeous people. I was, was going to yeah. say
1: like <laughs> half their scene is almost they're looking at each other being like we're pretty hot. What's <laughs> up with that? Yeah. Which thankfully which they practically come out and say.
2: But they also both know it would just be bad. Yes. And 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 so and that's where that's how Don is different than Roger. And I think that scene we get with Joan and Roger early in the episode is is important in the mm-hmm. you know to, to, to parallel with the scene we get with Don and and Joan, um and and so yeah I think that that's what makes their dynamic so so interesting just because, like part of you wants to say oh they'd be so great together but you really know that they wouldn't
1: they yeah they really wouldn't and it would be horrible and awful
2: yeah I do want to mention uh talk about actually uh the Kinsey stuff a little bit when he first showed up I was not. Happy. It seemed too cartoonish. It didn't. It seemed so devoid from you know anything. There was so nothing familiar in the performance, and so I was so glad when they went out to to coffee or dinner or whatever later mm-hmm. to see it. It was still Paul. It was you know he was underneath that ridiculous haircut, um and and I, I like the mention of of Star Trek. That's pretty great too. Oh um, yes,
1: the the oh I don't I don't I'm not sure I can repeat the title of that of that episode in, in mixed company
2: it was Negron the Negron complex
1: oh yeah sorry Negron yes right uh but the twist is they're white <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes yes absolutely uh... and, and because I mean Harry's been pretty much an asshole most of the time that we spent with him he's been a, a doofus and very much a character designed for laughs just thinking of his you know getting the munchies with Don and eating a bag of white castle
1: and saying know. horrible things about Megan
2: saying horrible things about (laughs) Megan so to see his his level of concern and care for Paul this week I I thought really nice and a nice bit of shading that I think been a little overdue for him
1: yeah and I I love their their last scene was by far the most effective part of that whole Mm -hmm. that whole subplot this week if only because you can you can kind of see it several ways like yes Harry's being in in his view he's being nice and letting him off easy on the other hand sending a guy who can't write to la to write with some pocket with you know what amounts to some pocket change maybe not the greatest long-term solution but on the other hand it does get him away from this horrible horrible woman so eh, unbalanced maybe not so bad
2: well i think he also it's the notion that once he gets out there he'll figure it out because he'll have to um and that you know he just needs to get. They need. He needs to get him away from this woman and from this. I mean, I think there's, you know, a nice or strong, you know, culty kind of feel to it. Um, I thought it was interesting. I I don't know if I'm. I don't know anything about the hard Christian movement. Uh, so
1: I only know what I learned from hair.
2: Um. Uh, yeah. So, but but I thought it was interesting that the the person who was leading the the meeting or whatever just seemed very bored. When he was uh, up there, like you know, it didn't seem like he was, you know, moved by their chanting or anything. He's just like, okay, here's the next latest group of, of, uh,
1: uh either rich
2: or or formerly rich white people who are gonna sit here and, you know. So I thought that was adding that in was interesting.
1: Yes. Uh, so yeah, it, I I agree also that it it risked sort of this. Oh, weren't the late sixties wacky sort of yeah sort of elements to whenever they go into an area like that but i think it was more or less avoided Uh, i thought it was i I, this has just been an insanely strong season maybe the best one yet depending on how they tie it up and there's only what three or four episodes left so
2: yeah there's yeah just a few so i I look forward to seeing it now now what do you think this uh where do you think we're going with lane where do you think uh we're going with uh some i mean megan i don't know Where, where do you see the season ending
1: Lane uh I don't know murder suicide it's not looking good um I don't know they, they, that's not really the sort of direction the show would go probably but mm-hmm. uh I I can't just Lane's just such a mess I feel so bad for him even though he's also kind of an asshole uh but that's sort of the way the show goes um yeah. as for Megan I I really don't see her sticking around forever I just don't see how mm-hmm. um just you know Don's not an excellent husband and she has other prospects in life
2: Well and just just they're they're the gap between them going to uh, America hurrah or, you know, which I I did a little, you know, I was looking to up that. Of course it was a very influential play at the time, but uh, yeah, just slight different. Uh, they are different paths, shall we say. So mm-hmm. as much as I would like to see those crazy kids work it out, I, you know, I'm, I'm feeling like that's less and less going to be an option.
1: Yeah. So. Hey, maybe he'll get back with Betty and make everyone happy. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I don't see that happening. That wouldn't make her happy. She she can't be happy. She's not capable of being happy.
1: Oh, that makes me sad. Well,
2: anyway. I was baiting you. You didn't... Being all mature. Whatever. <laughs> Let's move on to Sherlock and the Reichenbach Fall. This is the season finale because there are three episodes a season for Sherlock. What did you
1: think? Uh, I gather the fanboys and girls are really into this one. I have mixed feelings about it. Um... I mean let's we'll get to the cliffhanger later, but um I had some performative issues with this one. Uh Andrew Scott, who plays Moriarty, I found him to be a little much. And I don't know whether to to blame him or or the director, but I, I don't know, just and some of the dialogue didn't help either. Like I one of my top five least favorite dialogue cliches we're the same, you and I, or variants <laughs> of that. I hate that so much. That pulled me right out of the episode and right into smacking my damn head territory. Oh, but don't you think
2: this Moriarty is just the kind of loser to use that argument?
1: Uh, Well, I think that's maybe that's why I guess it works on that level. But that's maybe why the character of Moriarty in this incarnation didn't really work for me, Um, at at least not all the time. And also, um, I couldn't help but notice like Martin Freeman's great. Uh, You know, we all like him. He's very good at Watson, but sometimes he has a limited range of expression and in particular in that scene near the end where he's standing at Sherlock Holmes quote grave. Um, he's, he's really, he's employing the same set of facial tics as he does in the second season finale of the office when he's upset about Don, like he, 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 I don't know. He just seems to have a narrow range of, of emotions some of the time, or rather a narrow range of sort of facial tics for certain kinds of emotions. And I also find that distracting. Um, also, you know, very heavy on the, so so heavy on the villainy mechanics that there wasn't a whole lot of mystery solving, which seemed a little counterintuitive. I mean, it was entertaining, but I wasn't pulled over.
2: So I liked this a lot, a lot more than you did. I thought Martin Fume was great, and I, did, I don't find him to be limited in his uh, modes of expression at all. So that's me. That was actually the biggest takeaway I had on this episode. I figured people will be talking about... Um, Cumberbatch, people will be talking about Moriarty, this take on Moriarty. But for me, Martin Freeman was was the highlight of of this episode, and and the highlight of you know the real difference maker, I think, in separating out this series from other takes on Sherlock Holmes. And uh, we'll be able to watch another one in the fall, Elementary on CBS Ho-ho! Thursdays, I believe. But yeah, I mean, I I think it's definitely it's a love it or hate it kind of uh situation with this moriarty it's he's very twitchy he's very high energy very just crazy um and so i I definitely see people not liking that i understand that that's not yeah you know, i I think it's fun I think it works, but I could definitely see that turning people off. Uh, as for the the rest, I like that they incorporate Molly, uh, which pays off uh, nicely that moment from from the first episode of the season and uh, and and bring that in. And it's also a nice change, sort of, from the Sherlock of uh, of these other of these other incarnations, just because he has more than one person in his life. It may be three, <laughs> but he has yeah. Watson, he has Missus Hudson, and and he does ha- and his brother. And so you know who who is a much larger and presence. Lestrade,
1: he also has Lestrade, sorta
2: yeah, I mean yeah, so so he has a much larger circle in this than than he has seemed to have in in the past, uh, so i thought I thought it worked, I know that for some the cliffhanger uh will it will maybe be frustrating. I thought it worked. I thought it was well done. And I think well, well, it's hold very on. You caref- you, carefully choreographed. You
1: can't say the cliffhanger worked until you know how they explained it away. Come on now. Oh,
2: you can see how they explained it away if you watch oh, it.
1: Oh, oh, can you? Well, I can. Yes. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I I assume it has something to do with Molly since she's very plainly missed out on. She's, you know, She's not one of the people who's in threat because Moriarty doesn't think to include her and because we see him seek her out, but we don't know why. I assume she has something to do with it, but...
2: Oh, yeah. If you want, when we're off mic, I can tell you my theory, but it seems
1: what Why don't you uh... just say the theory? Let's do it.
2: Oh, okay. Well, she got a body to replace him with, because he's not dead, obviously. He jumps off. You see him fall, but you don't see him land because there's a truck in the way, and then John comes rushing over. Somebody bumps into him and knocks him down on the way by accident, but... Clearly not by accident, because this is Sherlock Holmes. Then, by the time he gets back up, there's a crowd of people surrounding Holmes. Again, not by accident. There's somebody checking his pulse so that Watson can see somebody else checking it. And that's so when somebody says that he's dead... You Isn't know.
1: Watson the one checking the pulse?
2: No, Watson reaches up and grabs his arm, but there's somebody next to Sherlock's uh, neck. It has his fingers on his neck. And it,
1: it seemed to they, me like Watson was checking the pulse of the wrist.
2: Yeah, he, checked, he grabs the wrist... But you know there are there are things that you can do. I mean Holmes is very knowledgeable on poisons, for example, to slow down your heart rate. And then he gets immediately, you know, immediately before Watson can even really get a good look at him, gets put onto a gurney and wheeled away. And and so I would assume that Molly has has a uh, you know found a body to replace his with, so that you know, in the morgue and uh, that's how she's involved. And th- there's enough downtime where you did not see him. That they can fake the the scene.
1: Yeah, I mean, some of those thoughts occur to me. So there's a me, giant
2: like... pad, you know, in the truck. The truck pulls away, of course, as soon as Watson is up. Yeah, you know, he's when he's he, the truck is there until Watson gets bumped by the guy in the right. bike. I, I, and then by I the think, time he gets up, it's gone.
1: I think I guess the main difference between between you and I is I didn't notice the truck, Had I noticed the truck. The, that's pretty much the truck of magic. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean. I don't know. I I, I still I still I'm not really a fan of cliffhangers is my secret. So (laughs) I I I would I would much rather, especially if God knows what the what the wait is going to be between these seasons, since everyone's so busy, Uh, you know, Martin Freeman's about to make loads of money being the Hobbit. Mm -hmm. Um, Cumberbatch is is very in demand. So, you know, I I would have preferred they just explain it away, even if even if not to uh, Watson. But, you know, that's just me
2: nah yeah, well i I think we'll get to have fun watching Watson just punch him out when he's not dead uh so I think that'll be fun when this when the show comes back um so so yeah I, i've I've enjoyed the season a lot now. did you watch the first season?
1: I watched the first and oh, the so you, third episode yeah
2: yeah you had said you had said so i mean 'cause you do you mean for me this is this is Sherlock Holmes for me. This is the definitive, this is my favorite take on Sherlock Holmes. Do you have, you know, a favorite or how does it, what do you I mean, what's your reaction to the series overall?
1: Well, I, I don't have an intimate relationship with Sherlock Holmes like you do. Um, I, I, I don't really have any sentimental attachment to the character. I used to own a, a, like a complete volume or near complete volume of Sherlock Holmes, but I don't know where it is now and I never read it. So mm. I, I I don't really think I you know when 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 certain new versions come out and people c- cry heresy over certain aspects as happens oh every single every time. time Uh I I'm totally unmoved so you know I I do I do think it's it's definitely an entertaining series uh, a little I don't think it's as consistently hit for mm. me as it is for you know the great majority of sort of Stephen Moffat lovers who watch me. it and you um. <laughs> But uh, it, it's definitely enjoyable. I'm looking forward to its eventual return.
2: Yeah. So we'll uh, this that wraps up our, our week, and uh, I guess we're gonna, we'll take a break and listen to some music. Come back and talk girls. <laughs> by Fleet Foxes, which was featured in this week's episode of Girls the Return and this episode saw the main character going back home to Michigan, not Iowa uh, and uh, just sort of reconnecting with her parents a little bit or, or interacting with them yeah, for the first time since I believe the pilot. So what, yes. what did you think of this episode?
1: I think this might have been my favorite one so far, which is why I we, we sort of we confer every week as what are we gonna spotlight And I watched this first and I said, you know I think my vote goes to girls this week, even though I'd also watched Mad Men because we, we haven't spotted this before. And we spent the first two weeks being very unsure how we felt about it and being somewhat distrustful of all the hype. Uh, and I think it's come a long way since those episodes. And I think uh, a clear test of that is, I mean, this week we only it may as well have been called girl. We we get one scene with Marty near, near the beginning and that's it. The rest is just Hannah and her parents and, you know, some and these and two of the boys she interacts with and some of her old friends, but no, none of the other crew is there. And it's, it's a test of, okay, well, when you pull out one and just to sort of explore a little more deeply in that sense, does it still work? And the answer is clearly yes. Um, I, you know, I can't, I don't want to detract from Lena Dunham's, you know, clear writer, director, star, you know, this is totally her show, but I can't, but I can't not notice that Judd Apatow co-wrote this episode and there's a real freaks and geeksness to the portrayal of the parents. I mean, the mom was also on Freaks and Geeks. And just the way they're portrayed as being, full, you know, more fully rounded humans than these kids are, even if we don't necessarily spend as much time with them, uh, makes a lot of sense to me. And uh, I have to say, also, I was not expecting a, a sex scene between them, which was <laughs> shocking in the most delightful way possible. mm <laughs> And uh, I don't know, just everything about this one really clicked for me.
2: Yeah, I thought it was good. I thought it was strong. I didn't like it as much as you did. I think um, I agree that it worked very well having uh, ha- having Hannah separated from the rest of her New York circle. I thought it was really interesting to watch her uh, interact with with some of her, if not friends, then colleagues from high school. That was interesting watching her with the the so much more vanilla. Pharmacist was very interesting, um, and I think I I have a lot of trouble with Hannah because she's kind of terrible, and and so you know I think it worked really well to have her not ask her parents for money at the end when the opportunity arises because that's the first time in the episode that she's you know when she gets home and she's helping her parents out a little bit her dad and then she doesn't ask for money when even though she needs some. I think that was really important because the rest of the episode, she's terrible to them. So it's important to balance. I mean, you're looking at me like I'm crazy a little bit.
1: Well, no, it's just this episode really exploits one of the things about Hannah that I find the most realistic, which is that she really doesn't have any. I mean, I mean, her parents have a healthy relationship. And so she has that to to look at, but she still has no real conception in her own life of how to deal with men in a way that is she she doesn't know how to be treated well by a man or or to to want to put herself in a situation where she's treated well I mean she Mm. goes out with this Eric guy and for the first time she seems to have sort of realistic expectations out of a relationship like she knows you know out of a situation rather you know she she knows that he's not necessarily the most interesting guy but he's fairly nice and you know they have a relatively uncomplicated evening and that's mm-hmm. sort of the first time we we you know we see yeah. her knowing fully what's up. Whereas whenever she's talking to Adam, I want to say her yeah. her uh, horrible horrible pseudo boyfriend, um, that that relationship is is so it just feels so true to me. Just in the sense that yes, he he treats her horribly, um, but just the fact that he's not horrible all of the time is seems to be good enough for her. Like, yeah, the, the fact that he shows even the slightest bit of tenderness just makes their relationship okay in her eyes or at least okay enough for now and i don't know i i i find their dynamic uh, to be so true to life
2: well and that that conversation that they have at the end of the episode that closes out the episode is really interesting in that it opens with him not remembering where she lives the state that she's from which certainly mm-hmm. she has told him before but then also ends with him Getting up out of bed, even though he's comfy, to go look out the window, he easily could have just said, "There's, a, there's a, somebody at the corner." You know, he he could have not done that, but he did. He made the effort to 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 get out of bed to to talk to her about what she wanted to talk about, and so it's nice that that is a little bit more balanced. I mean, obviously, uh, this Eric guy is you know somebody who actually treats her with respect, which she's so clearly not used to, um, but. I think it was smart, again, I I think a lot of what I'm seeing in this show, this episode particularly, is is smart and well-structured. It's smart to see that there is a reason that she likes this guy and that she keeps not dumping his ass even though she Mm -hmm. it would she would probably be much better off if she did yeah now what you know i I thought that the the conversations with the parents were also really good and becky Ann baker is the the mom who is also the mom on on freaks and geeks i kept waiting for the the, them to reveal that the dad had cancer or something and that that was Mm -hmm. why they had really asked her home for the weekend especially when you know the dad was so upset that the mom let her go off uh, and not join them for dinner. Was that just me? Uh,
1: I think that was just you, you strange, morbid person.
2: <laughs> I It just seems seem so strange to, you know, have your kid come home for your anniversary. It's a little... Maybe well, she's
1: it. the only child, isn't she? I mean...
2: Yeah, that's true.
1: I think that's a difference. Neither of you, neither of us are only children. So we don't really yeah. know what that's like, but maybe that's the sort of thing that happens to you when you're an only child, you can invite it on anniversaries. Yeah.
2: Could be. Now we should talk about the, the music. Cause we, when we were trying to decide what our music selection should be to go into this segment, uh, we were having a little trouble. Uh, do you want to take that?
1: Uh, well, <laughs> I, th- I thought the, well, first of all, I thought the use of a Carrie Hilson track for the uh, Carrie Memorial was <laughs> kind of, <laughs> Sort of both simultaneously idiotic and brilliant in the way that was, you know, clearly intended. So congrats on that one. And, of course, uh, this being a show about, you know, uh, girls in their, you know, early to mid-20s struggling with their lives, we get several, you know, we get a jewel appearance. And I'm just amazed that we haven't had any, you know, Tori Amos or Annie DeFranco show up. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe that's too too turn of the previous decade. Hmm. But uh, I, I... I cringe in a in a fun way when you know hands shows up. Ooh. It's the sort of old. It's 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 the sort of radio chestnut from twelve years ago. You hope you hope to never hear again in your life.
2: Yeah, it was uh you know the the posters on the wall of the, of the house and all the little de- details like that. I thought were were pretty great. So yeah, I think it it does feel increasingly um increasingly confident. I would say that uh every time that that Donna gets naked for lack of a, a more eloquent term it you know it, it it just i always have to kind of it's always so much shocking to me just because it it's so against the conventions of what we're used to seeing on these shows you know and and so i think that's always interest, interesting and i have to then i kind of have to remind myself of oh no this is this show that i'm watching this is girls this is the kind of show that would do this this is not you know the other the other kind the other shows on television right now um, so i think that's interesting they've um, they've spent a lot of time focusing on really close takes on her face while she is clearly just so lost so that's i mean Dunham has done a great job in her performance i would say but i think they could you know it's starting to feel a little over reliant on that particular mm-hmm. shot so I, I hope that they will she will break out from that and do some other things as well.
1: Mm-hmm. I'll be curious to see if the other girls get an episode like this at some point, you know, mm-hmm. are we going to spend a whole episode with Shoshana or with Marnie or uh, the British one whose name I've forgotten? <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, but you know, our, will the, you know, would that episode also stand, stand up as much as this one did? And I think that would be a really smart, thing, ah, smart thing for them to try out just yeah. you know to, to really deepen their cast because some I mean especially for me Shoshana is badly in need of, of, of fleshing out although she's gotten a little better mm-hmm. so I, I would love to have an episode where we follow her home and just sort of figure her things out or some equivalent
2: yeah no I agree um and I think that would also be a nice way to change it up a little bit um from being the Hannah show all the time uh but yeah I think it's it's been a really interesting honest show so i'm looking forward to you know it's unlike with veep we are actually going to have this one for several several more weeks um while everything else finishes up so look forward to to watching that so i guess any final thoughts
1: um i'm glad the show has turned out to be as good as everyone initially wrongly said it was
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i'm I'm, you were right just at the
1: wrong time and i'm (laughs) right at the right time
2: well i mean that just goes into the the thing of critics being sent like three or four episodes at once, so they're
1: yeah you know yeah yeah yeah. That's but anyways,
2: true. we'll we can talk about that another time. Let's uh just get a few show notes in here before we go to our DVD shelf with once again the the fabulous Morion. Our intro and outro music is "Sweet Petite" by The Bicycles. We are up at soundinside.org where you can find the podcast streaming. You can leave us a comment there. We would love to hear from you. You can also find us streaming at current.com uh, and you can download the podcast in iTunes. We have an M4A chapter chaptered feed as well as an MP3 feed and you can leave us a rating or a review there. It would be great to hear from more of you what you think about the show and uh you know if if you like the show, if you like what we're doing, well or if you don't, either way, you know, let us know. <laughs> um and you you know pass it on to your friends, post it on on Facebook. Sunset has a Facebook page. I you know you can like us there. We don't have a page up for Televerse yet. Uh I will see when I get the time to start doing a little bit more of that as well. But uh for now you can reach me on Twitter. I'm at the Televerse and you are?
1: I'm at SuckerHowl. Although frankly, uh, if you follow me on Twitter these days, you'll find uh more existential complaints about the direction of my life than you will find about television or films, so be <laughs> warned.
2: <laughs> Heads up. Um and you can of course you can always email us at theteleverse at gmail.com. And uh any, what should our closing question b how about I, you know what? I, I i will not ask you this week i will say i would be, i would like to know from people uh what their their favorite finale has been so far this year because it's been mm. somewhat mixed you know it's some been a rough
1: rough season for finales
2: yeah yeah so I'm, i would love to hear from you guys what you have been most surprised about what show from this year and also what finale you've enjoyed the most
1: yeah and by the way if your answer is not parks and rec you are wrong Okay,
2: well, that's that's let's love it. Let's encourage people to write to us. Yes.
1: Yeah. No, no, no. You feel free to say other things.
2: (laughs) So we're gonna take a break and listen to a clip and some music, and we'll be back with Mo Ryan for our segment on Lost.
0: Sixteen years. And five months—that's the count. What the hell are you talking about? The iterations. It's a distress call. Leave for help—a mayday.
2: If the count is right, it's been playing over and over. Sixteen years. Someone else stranded here. Maybe they came for them.
0: Someone came. Why is it still playing?
2: back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kulzik, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week at the DVD shelf, I'm completely stoked because we're talking Lost. And here to help us with that conversation is Maureen Ryan from The Huffington Post. Mo, thanks for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So I am a big fan of Lost. I I love genre TV. uh, And I had so much fun watching this every week live. It was one of those first shows that I was able to watch with a group of friends every week and really get into... Um, when I was in college. And so I've been wanting to talk about it for a while. Simon had never seen it. Uh, and so I think this should be an interesting conversation. But I I would say, Ma- Maureen, why, why did you choose Lost?
0: Um, well, there's just so many different things you can talk about with Lost. And I think, you know, the combination of things that it did was so particular and so kind of I'm going to coin a word here, unreplicatable. <laughs> um, and, and you know, with every show that I really, really love, there's something that it brings to the table that, like, no other show does really well. And I think that's really, you know, kind of what unites every single great show or shows that belong in the Pantheon is that they do something unique um, that doesn't stop networks from trying to imitate what they did, and usually very badly. But um, I think it's, you know, you just touched on it a little bit. You know, I'm a huge genre TV fan. Um, but I, I love supernatural and sci-fi um, things, movie show, movies, TV shows, books, plays, whatever, when they use that framework to kind of get at very human emotions and truths and ideals. And so that's really where I kind of come from as a consumer of anything. You know, it, 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 it can be Jane Austen or it can be, you know star trek it's, it's it's just as long as whatever framework is that the um creator is using is trying to tell a really deep and profound and moving and you know re- kind of relatable on a human level story then i usually respond really well and um you know it's funny cuz it, there's been talk you know ever since the show went off the air about whether it was consistent whether it deserves this kudos or that award or that kind of regard and i think consistency is overrated um that my favorite shows tend to t- tended to take really huge risks <laughs> um and, and a was in that category and it didn't always work out but i would much rather have a show that really shoots for um the stars so to speak than something that tries to be super consistent every week well i, I think i couldn't have put it better myself as far as you know what i'm
2: always why, why i enjoy genre fiction so much i think there's just there's there are stories that get told in sci-fi and fantasy and genre shows that don't get touched on anywhere else. And, and because you can use the genre and use that as the trappings of that to, to, to entertain your audience, but then to also allow the audience to, to make leaps that maybe on another show they wouldn't make. And to, to really invest in situations and, and characters without, you know, some of the, the, the more difficult elements that kind of tend to hold back shows that are too grounded in, in reality. Uh, right. And so I, I, I really enjoy that. And so I'm going to go to Simon. You had never seen lost.
1: And yet I had heard. Oh, so very much. <laughs> um, it, it's, I had a very strange experience watching Lost for the first time because I had friends who were watching it, of course, at the time. And among the people that I know, no one was happy when it was over. And actually, I had a friend who was so distraught and so bothered by the ending that I actually had to take him out for drinks a couple days afterwards just so he could vent at me for several hours. Um, so I came to this viewing knowing pretty much everything, or I would say about 70% of what happens over the course of the series just through people bitching at me. And and also, just, by, just in the act of telling people that I was going to be watching it, that 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 alone seemed to set off like a minor war among people that i knew. <laughs> so this is a show that people get really up in arms about i think on in different ways. so it, it was a strange it was a very strange viewing experience, probably unlike any other that i've had. i think what i appreciate most about the show is very much what uh, what mo was saying about um ambition. And how I think when Lost stumbles, and I think it does uh, quite a bit, it's it's not for lack of imagination. It's it's you know you know they're they're definitely as 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 Mo was saying, shooting for the stars. And I think it's I th- I think the things that it, that it does well, like uh, like Mo was saying, are are certainly of. Are certainly things that it very specifically does well, and that other shows don't necessarily have. And I think it's it's things that are sort of intrinsic to it from the beginning. Uh, for instance, I think one thing we can we may be able to agree on is I think they really lucked out with this cast, and I think that having these people on board from the beginning and just being able to work with them over a long period of time just sort of guaranteed that the show was going to be watchable, even when it wasn't always coherent
0: yeah i I couldn't agree more and it's interesting that you know we're kind of at this point where there's still i think a lingering um element of you know critics and reviewers and media that kind of look down on anything that even has a hint of genre something or other you know i mean i it's funny because you know just this past uh weekend um uh uh, the Avengers opened and it was just like this massive box office hit and, you know, Joss Whedon was obviously involved. And and yet you still came across reviews that I think started out with kind of an inherent um, distaste for comic book movies or movies that employ special rules or kind of like, you know, uh, that aren't quite set in our reality. But I was thinking a lot about this and I was thinking every story is manipulative. Every story is going to shape – reality to fit its needs i mean i think it's we could easily say that the the good wife works in an alternate universe where court cases are done in very dramatic fashion in two days you know and every anyone who's ever been involved in a court case knows that it takes like eight years for like paperwork to even go through so it's you know lost i think within its own world that it constructed um i think it tried really hard to kind of make a universe that made sense within that and um, it's funny that you said about your friends being very angry about the finale because um, I just think this is one of the most infamous and funny things that I've ever said to anyone. But my reaction on seeing the finale was turning to my husband and saying, well, finally, a serious finale that won't be controversial. And <laughs> I just couldn't have been more wrong. Um, I guess I was in that percentage of people for whom uh, emotionally it really worked. I mean, everything to do with um, – the magical, glowy cave was um, disastrous as far as I was concerned. It was just not something I enjoyed, and I thought it was too much explanation of things I didn't need over-explained. And, you know, Desmond putting the magical cork in the island, I, you know, that was just... I, I mean, it's only because so many other things worked so well that I was able to let that stuff go. Um, I, I just think... It's interesting to me that you know another show that was very—it's kind of it had a similar fan base, *Battlestar Galactica*—also um, didn't wrap up certain points as well as some people would have liked. And I—I I completely intellectually understand the people who objected to those intellectual points, um, maybe not being addressed in the best possible way. But again, emotionally, um, where the characters ended up—that's you know what worked for me. And I think what you tend to get with these. Um, genre behemoths is like you rarely get the unanimity that you've seen with the Avengers in terms of people liking what it was doing a lot of times what you get when people are really really heavily invested in a a TV show especially is that different camps develop and you know there's no uniformity of opinion you can't say oh the fans like this or the fans hate that usually there's like very like rival camps of fans almost mm-hmm. and sometimes <laughs> they go to war so there that definitely um it made it kind of exhausting as a critic to be perfectly honest to be involved in a show like that and writing about it every week because people will just argue and you know start flame wars with each other and um and then or say you know yell at me for my opinions and so those sort of things can be really intense emotional experiences. But to me, in the long run, obviously, that's worth it. Because I, what I find, you know, kind of in, in television these days, and especially in broadcast network television, with a few exceptions, is that it doesn't rile me up because it's not doing anything that could rile me up. You know, it's not taking... Great chances or risks, you know. If you look at the genre flavored entertainment that we've gotten, it's it's very it's it's within very narrow parameters. There's just maybe one sort of spooky element or Mm. uh, underpinning to the story. There's really no there's no lost going to come down the pike again. I don't think in a major network, and so that makes me sad. But then it makes it all the more special, maybe.
2: Yeah, I. I absolutely remember the the Fuhrer at the time. And I guess, I I mean, I'm on the record. I love this finale. I think it works so well. And it's so true to the characters and their emotions and their experiences, uh, which for me is why I watch series like this. Um, so I loved it. I also thought the I also really enjoyed the Battlestar finale. I thought it was, I thought it was great. So, uh, so we both have good taste. Pretty much. Pretty much. I actually had a, a while there where I was kind of, when I was trying to find some new TV podcasts to listen to around that time, I would sort of judge whether I wanted to, to listen to them based on their episode about the Lost or the Battlestar finale and how they presented their opinions about it and kind of go from there just because I got so tired of hearing such uh, extreme bashing of this finale because I think what it gets right it gets so right and 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 we were actually, it's funny to hear you say this Mo because Simon and I were talking earlier uh, when you were watching some of the, the more explainy kind of episodes towards the end of the sixth season and uh, what you were saying is they're explaining things that I don't need them to explain or that I don't want them to explain and for me I, I couldn't care less about the mechanics of you know, I know people were upset they never explained the polar bears except that they did but anyways things like that I don't care about I care you know about how these characters get to where they're at I care about their motivations for you know I know a lot of people have a problem with the sixth season but for me I care about Kate meeting it back up with Claire and I care about uh I mean I love the flash sideways so I care about all you know these people's experiences and how they're affected by each other. I don't care
0: about the mechanics. Yeah, so uh, so much so. I agree. Yeah.
1: So I guess when I criticize the finale, I have to be extra careful.
0: Oh, (laughs) no, no, no. You can play devil's (laughs) advocate. You know, I'm able to parse out, like, okay, it it connected with me on such a, like, you know, like Kate is saying, it connected with me on such a kind of a soul level that there's no, there's no intellect in my level of, you know, they, they, there's only this deep, deep affection that I had over six years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it was kind of like being in a relationship. One of my friends, um, a critic named Melanie McFarland, who works for IMDb now, she once said or titled a post, you know, I, I'm in a loveless, loveless marriage with Lost, you know, around about season <laughs> three or something like that, where she was just like kind of putting up with it. And I would have times when I was just sort of like, tolerating lost and, you know, letting episodes build up on my DVR. Cause I was just kind of like getting, you know, just getting annoyed with it, but it, it almost kind of, that made it out all the more um, of a journey. You know what I mean? Like there were ups and downs. There were yeah. all these ins and outs and amazing moments like, you know, Desmond and Penny and, and that, like, that just kind of came out of left field. And I love that when, you know, an episode makes you cry and, you know, makes you um, just, have these intense intense experiences you know whether it was exciting because of action or or what have you so um yeah i'm willing to give forgive lost a lot of sins and you know some of which i can even again like intellectually identify but emotionally can't can't make myself care about you
1: know (laughs) well mid-season three is a good time to be just sort of tolerating lost i think um the, I, what, what all I meant to say was, I just found it funny that Kate was j- judging other podcasts by their take on finales, and now I have to give mine <laughs> on our podcast. Um, I mean, to, to sort of talk about this, to sort of generally just move 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 away specifically from the finale and talk about the show generally. I I, I wasn't really satisfied in some senses of sort of the themes the show, I, not even just sort of the mysteries the show developed, but sort of the thematic undercurrents the show developed, and then didn't care that much about especially i mean they they make I, I, as i'm sure you picked up on mo when you were watching the show i mean nearly every character's background has to do with with some sort of parental issue
0: oh the island of bad dads yeah i mean <laughs> oh, totally.
1: I, I was i was waiting for spielberg to be the one behind the curtain on uh, on all this but uh well i guess that's the jj J. abrams connection but anyway well, um
0: no i, I totally agree and my one of my biggest I mean, if I have a something that kind of disappointed me on both an intellectual and an emotional level. I'm sorry if I jumped in too quickly.
1: Oh, no, that's all right. Go for it.
0: Um, You know, the biggest disappointment I had in that final season was, or in the sort of the arc of the show, was that it was so clear to me that the writers and creators were so much less interested in the female characters and the male characters. Because that last season, you have these, like, epic kind of or i thought it was astounding that they made me care about jack again you know they always kind of had this magical destiny for john locke um you know Walt obviously that storyline changed a lot you know because of the kid grew but you know that he was special and so forth um you know the male characters even desmond um seemed to have these like incredible fates you know there was something special about them even um Ben Linus, you know, that kind of thing. And, you know, maybe they all had daddy issues too, but, you know, it just struck me as this, you know, basically a fault of the show that, you know, and I'm not saying like every TV show should have like, you know, a ratio calculator. Okay, on this episode, we spent this many episodes more or less centered on male characters, but just, it just to me, it was like, this is obviously the concerns that resonate most deeply with the people making this show. And then Kate, who had kind of started out as, Every bit, you know, Jack or Sawyer's equal is just relegated to like this nowhere status for the final season, and and I mean that's just a personal thing that I mean, maybe didn't really have a big. I think you know, every show that I've had, usually there's been one or two big things that I've that has disappointed me. Like even The Wire, um, I'm not going to spoil that, but the final season of The Wire, I thought was by far the weakest one, and I could go into that. But like every every show that I love. You know if you love something, it's going to tend to let you down about something yeah. if you still love it
1: well the 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 thing I was going to mention about sort of the theme of, of parenthood and sort of the way that's the show is always the show's always toying with that is you sort of expect since it's such a prevalent theme in every character's almost every character's backstory, you sort of expect that to pay off in in sort of any way with certain characters and then it fails to. I mean, uh, I, the whole thing, Claire's whole story is a mess. Uh, it, if you ask me, just the way yeah. her sort of, in insane, uh, move in the last season was strange to me, and then the this idea in the finale that the most important time of her life is includes the three years she spends childless and insane, when sort of her whole journey at the beginning is about motherhood, that seems strange to me. And then of course the fact that the whole time she spends with her kid afterwards is less important, I find strange. But even weirder I thought was I thought it was really interesting in the, in the flash sideways to have Jack be a father because that seemed like a natural extension of sort of, you know, his issues and sort of the sh- the show's themes in general. And, but then, you know, when he finds out the kid isn't real, it's well, really? You spent 14 years with some imaginary kid and now you're
0: just going to forget about it? Really? Yeah, that was strange. I totally agree they didn't they just did certain things just didn't go where you thought they would and then you yeah. know
1: i ended up talking about the finale again damn it <laughs> <laughs> i
2: i will agree that uh i mean i wouldn't say that this is a significant issue and loss as it is in a, most of the other you know tv shows out there but comparatively unless i would say that they do have a bit of a lady problem i will agree with you guys tm big red podcast on that um but uh Because even if you look at the the list of the episodes as you were catching up with the show, Simon, I would kind of track your progress and say, oh, there's a Kate episode coming up. Sorry. Uh, Because for most (laughs) of the series, really, her episodes are the least interesting. Rousseau is really interesting. And then she gets killed off. And Shannon (laughs) becomes interesting in time to get killed off. And uh, (laughs) I I actually liked Anna Anna Lucia, but killed off. I would add...
1: Like Juliet is interesting, but then I really there's, like Juliet. but then there's like stretches of eight or nine episodes where she just sort of follows people around, mm-hmm. which I found frustrating. Yeah. And then they kill her also. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, and also let's just, cause we don't have, unfortunately we don't have that much time. Let's go into that. Cause for me, if I have the biggest problems I have with this show, uh, are the way that they handle the death of first Charlie and then Juliet, because they're terrible. Uh, I'm a Joss fan from, you know, back uh, when I was in high school, so I'm used to characters that I like getting killed off, but you've got to be kidding me. With Juliet, a chain is getting, being pulled towards a magnet, then pauses to wrap itself around her and then pulls her into, you know, it's the most ridiculous thing But then she's still not dead. But then she's still not dead. They have to, (laughs) you know. And and with with, with Charlie, it's the most ridiculous, I mean, there's no reason that he needed to die in that moment because there's, unless they want to explore the notion that he thought he had to die, so that's why he did. There was, there were scuba tanks right next to the door. He could, and not to mention the whole Mikhail thing, but I don't know, so those, just little things like that just kind of Drive me nuts when I
1: think about this show. It's funny because neither of those deaths bugged me, but Mr. Echo's did. And I know that there's a practical reason, but still, really? <laughs> he was awesome.
0: I, you know, with the Mr. Echo thing, I sometimes view it as, you know, so people used to ding the writers of 24 all the time. Like, you're just making it up on the fly. Well, I hope they are, because if they're not, then, you know, they they're they're not paying attention to some of the good mm-hmm. stuff about the show or about the actors or whatever. So, you know, like in season five of, of 24, when um, president Logan had this kind of crazy, you know, Nixonian house, you know, white house, it was just really cool. And they just went heavily in that direction. You know, with Lost, I think it's a similar thing. Like you do get stuff like Mr. Echo's weird departure and Walt kind of falling off the map, so to speak, um even michael being shunted aside which i don't Mm -hmm. think was done all that elegantly um but then you have also stuff like you know uh michael emerson was i think you know (laughs) he was henry gale (laughs) right he was supposed to be for three episodes and then he ends up playing this enormous part in the whole show overall though i would argue like not the last season But they really were able to kind of go, wow, that character is really popping and working and and write more for them. Like, I loved Juliet and Sawyer together. I mean, I wish that we had had more of that. Um, And it's funny because, you know, they tried for so long to make Sawyer um, and Kate a thing. And I always was in love with the Kate that was in Sawyer's head. I was never in love with the Kate that was actually on the show that I saw (laughs) like him, him being in love with her was so, so like, you know, bittersweet and, you know, he made he really sold it. Whereas I didn't, I was like, man, Juliet's way better. Um, so, you know, I mean, I guess I kind of view it as I would ding them a lot harder for the things that kind of were weird or, you know, kind of fell apart if, if the, the things that they seized upon, you know, weren't that good, you know, essentially
1: another another thing that i i found interesting in in terms of from what i understand like people really didn't care about shannon and Boone. oh yeah um, people didn't like them in but general. and yet for for some reason one of the most compelling sort of character relationships to me of the whole show and especially in that in the first season is is them and i like that you know every other character has this at least in that season they you know they're con men or they're criminals or or there's, you know, magic or mysticism or whatever. And with them, it's just, you know, he's, he's just a guy who was unfortunate enough to fall in love with his stepsister. And I like that there was this one plot line that was sort of relatively banal and that was handled by some by some good actors. And unfortunately, they didn't really seem to value that sort of plot thread.
2: Well, I'm glad that this time when I was watching some of it that I have now seen Vampire Diaries because I've gained a whole new appreciation for Ian Somerhalder that that I didn't really have when I first watched Lost. So as much as I did enjoy when he popped up later episodes of, of Lost when it originally aired, going back and seeing it again, I, I you know, it was it's one of those moments where I look back on, you know, original viewing Kate and feel kind of
0: ashamed that I didn't value the work that he was doing because he was doing a good job. I can top that. I mean, I, I wrote a review of the, of the Battlestar Galactica series. that was like, well, it was okay. It wasn't that great. But, like, the last hour was good. But now we'll never see the TV show because they haven't commissioned a series. And then <laughs> We did and and i look back at that review and i'm like oh so much shame (laughs) um so yeah i mean you know you can only go with the impressions you have at the time so but i i totally know that feeling of like wow this actor is actually really good and uh, what was i thinking yeah
2: well let's let's talk briefly uh because we don't have time to really get into it but do you guys have who are your standouts amongst the the cast and of the characters and if there's a difference
0: there for you Oh that's a good one. Um you know Sawyer was definitely a favorite of mine. I loved I really think that um Josh Holloway could have just played the super hot guy card for six seasons and not um and and just kind of gone with that. And I I just loved the fact that he didn't rest on his laurels. I think he got better every year. And when they gave him really challenging material and really emotional stuff, he really stepped up and and did it. And then I I guess, you know, um Jorge Garcia as um Hurley you know he was kind of the heart and soul of the show and the comic relief and and was very much slotted into those roles but he was able to just do that so easily and so well that you know so many times I would sit there and go oh no we're all tramping through the jungle but I don't care because Hurley's you know making wisecracks you know so he was really kind of the most useful character on the show because he would distract you from the fact they were yet again you know setting up a bunch of Exposition and you know tramping through the jungle, um, and then I guess I'll just name a third one. Um, Michael Emerson as Ben Linus was just so great for so long, and especially in his scenes with Terry O'Quinn. Like there, there's sometimes you just get this alchemy between actors that you know you could never plan for, or you know make it happen. Like the chemistry that between them that was just off the charts, and what those characters brought to each other, and how the writers took advantage of that, I thought was just exceptional.
1: Um, I'm gonna give credit. Well, I mean, Terry O'Quinn, you you mentioned, and he's fantastic. You know, I've been a fan of his since I saw the original Stepfather. Um, I'm gonna give credit to someone that most people wouldn't think to is Matthew Fox, who's got actually one of the more thankless roles on the show. Sort of, you know, the slightly bland hero. But something I like about him in the role as Jack is that there's something about him that he he fails a lot. Even though he's he you know he 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 lives up to his promises and yet, but it doesn't always pan out the way he'd like and I like the way that's sort of reflected in sort of the casting where he 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 doesn't quite have the hero timbre I would call it like he he's not uh he's not a uh, he doesn't have a, a this commanding voice he's got this he's slightly higher pitched than maybe he should be and he generally just feels like he's he's not quite. You know, he doesn't have the commanding presence of of a Sawyer. He's just kind of he has this averageness to him.
2: He doesn't have the jaw.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's that's exactly it. He doesn't have the jaw. He doesn't have the hero jaw. And uh, there's something about that that I find uh, really compelling, in a in a strange way. Uh,
2: for, for me, I would echo your thoughts, Mo, on on Hurley. I think he works so well as an audience surrogate, um, and just to every now and again cut the the pomposity uh, and the ridiculousness of what was going on, just lampshade that a bit. And so I thought the character functioned really well. And then every now and again, you just kind of need a break from the crazy and from the angst and drama. And he was such a reliable character for that. So I really appreciate that. The other thing I would mention is that I think lost is a show. And I was talking to someone about this recently. I can't remember on, on Twitter. I think lost is a show that succeeded in introducing new characters over the course of the series who all, I think really worked. So the first they introduced Desmond in season two and he's great. And then they introduced Ben Linus and he's great. And then the, the people on the freighter, the, the, the four, I think are all fabulous. And so I, of the series that I've seen, I think it's one of the most successful at reinvigorating its cast over the series.
0: Oh, definitely. And I think so many shows could learn from that. You know, I think we had the disaster of heroes, which kind of stole lost thunder around that time. So I remember the first season of heroes was, um, like, getting all these accolades and it was the third season of lost and people were like, you're like yesterday's news, go away now lost. <laughs> um, but having said that, you know, they, they, I totally agree. They introduced Desmond. They, um, they, they kind of switched things up in terms of who they focused on every season. They introduced Ben Linus, you know, s- people that we'd never seen before every season would kind of come to become important. And yet they still really kind of kept us tied to a lot of the major characters. Although again, like, you know, with, the uh, um, sun and Jin, like they kind of they had a really great mm-hmm. um i won't you know i guess i won't say the specifics of how they left but th- that was very touching but they kind of had become very unimportant by that by the time we kind of faded out from their story um but total, i totally agree i think so many shows like here half the reason heroes went into a ditch was because it wouldn't kill people off and lost yep. would do that lost would you know mess with storylines go backwards forwards in time sideways and and all that kind of stuff and it would um change our understanding of the narrative and and get rid of people and add people so you were kind of always on your toes as a viewer which i think is a very rare thing especially on a network one hour show these days mm-hmm. you know stuff like flash forward it was just it was just kind of dumb and confusing that they tried to be lost and they didn't really take mm-hmm. any of the right lessons from it
2: yeah um, I guess my final question all around: uh, Do you guys have a favorite episode or arc? For me, the the first ones that always pop to mind are Walkabout uh, and, and Terry Quinn's fabulous performance in that, and then of course the constant. Um, I I think just stands out. I mean that that episode. I mean, granted, all the episodes leading up to it helped build, but that one episode cemented Desmond and Penny as the most interesting and the most uh passionately supported relationship romantic relationship on the series and considering desmond was a a recurring character at at best and and penny only showed up a few times i think that really speaks to the strength of those performances and of that episode
1: um, I, I'm not exactly sure what my individual favorite episode is, although I really don't get the hoopla over the constant. I'm sorry. Um, it,
0: you have it, no soul, but otherwise everything's good. It's because you're dead inside. No, <laughs> honestly, I
1: just thought I think I found the show's c- conception of of time travel to be somewhat boring. Um, because it made and, sense. No, not really. But anyway, <laughs> uh, we'll we'll leave that aside for some sort of metaphysical discussion. Uh, I'd like to give a shout out to Abbe turno mm, which is the Mr. Richard Alpert centric episode in season six, which I, which really I was I wasn't expecting at all, and he was on a horse. I mean, the Italian scenes were a little bit Roberto Benini, but um, other than that, I mean, I it, it was a really pleasant diversion from uh from the rest of the from sort of the other sort of more problematic stuff in that season and Alice unexpected and, and sorry,
2: Alice and Jenny
1: yeah oh yeah Allison Jenny <laughs>
0: we, we gotta say hands down my least favorite episode of lost so I, can I can I do least favorite oh yeah absolutely yes,
1: and i I almost agree with you it's quite poor
0: well, the problem with um beyond the sea or behind the sea or under the sea or whatever that was i I blocking so much of that except Across her hemp, the sea. she had a had to have a hemp dress as well which I don't really understand but um it was the re there's a there's there can be a bad episode of television within a show and it can just be they didn't work out that story right. The performances weren't there. Something went like many things can go wrong and sometimes things align and they go right and then we're happy and or they go OK or OK enough. And then sometimes things just align and they don't work. And that that to me would be stranger in a strange land. It was just, you know, lost killing time and it was a dumb story and it was byling. So, I mean, that is a bad episode, but it's not like epic bad because it just kind of was a one-off that didn't work whereas Across the Sea was so terrible because it, it really was again like hitting you over the head with things you didn't want to know and being incredibly obvious about that um, so I mean it, it, just, it just bothered me on a lot of levels because it was like oh no because mom liked you better blah 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 and it was like you, really That's that's what we're <laughs> going to go with here so um so that i didn't like that at all and certainly coming right toward the end i was just kind of like you know set phasers to to death because for the finale but then i ended up liking the finale so again once again, loss pulls off another win somehow um but la Fle- i i all the episodes you noted as liking i really liked and i especially liked that you mentioned abaterno because um I think that's one of the strengths of the show is that it could just do so many different things. And so that was like kind of a pirate action adventure hour, you know, and that's so fun. And then um, LaFleur, which was in season five, was just um, Sawyer working as a security guy for Dharma. I mean, I'm a Dharma initiative freak. Like I love anything (laughs) that was kind of really focused around that. So it was just such a great little character piece. And it was just, you know, the soul of Sawyer and how he was going to make choices and him finally learning how to be happy with Juliet. And there's so much about it that just really um, spoke to me in, in ways. I mean, definitely the the constant would be one of my top two, I think. But I think my other one, the more, the further away I get from Lost, the more I appreciate an hour like LaFleur. because you know, there's been a lot of chatter in the TV sphere lately about like, well, you know, our, our, our weekly reviews, worthwhile and you know and should people just review seasons at the end and that kind of thing there's arguments to be made in both directions but i I really love the idea that we can have just a one hour thing where you sit down on your couch and you're told a story that you know within this giant machinery of the lost mythology you could have maybe known like just the basics about the show and maybe never even seen it before but you could sit down and watch LaFleur and be told a story and be entertained and be moved and that's that's kind of why i love it Absolutely. In in terms of
1: uh, least favorites, I you make a strong case for Across the Sea, and I have to say that I I was also very annoyed with it, especially because of its placement. It's in the middle of this very fast moving section of 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 television, and you know it's got, a, regardless of the stuff that's sort of going iffy, there's a lot of narrative drive to that section, and it's like, okay, kids, story time. What?
0: Yeah. Uh, and it's like someone's hitting you in the head with a two by four the entire yeah. time.
1: Yeah. Um. It. I, I, I. There weren't that many sort sort of full episodes that bothered me. There. There's a long stretch in, or, the, or rather, there are stretches in season two and three where the flashbacks, I find to be pretty useless. Just because, either they're they're by the by that point they're the second or third or fourth episodes we've gotten for certain characters, and most of them don't need that much explanation.
2: Well, and you can tell they hadn't set an end date yet, and this is a show much like Battlestar that. I think really benefited from ironing out it's end date. Yeah.
0: I, I, if I have one, um, there, there was a really exciting moment to be someone who writes about TV in the middle of season three of lost. Um, there was this press tour that happens twice a year and the cast came out, um, and Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse came out and, We had not yet seen the abomination that was uh, the Jack Tattoo in Thailand episode, (laughs) Stranger in a Strange Land. So I think there was basically a huge amount of tap dancing that was going on because people had already begun really criticizing season three. Don't get me wrong. But this was where basically Hughes and Lindelof said to the press, there's like 200 people in the room we want this to go about a hundred episodes and then stop because we don't want to annoy you guys all. And, and, and one of the, <laughs> one of the ways they got to that was, you know, there were many people asking questions, but I asked a question and I said, so how long are you going to continue with these flashbacks to people's lives? I mean, are you going to do like sun engines, like eighth grade graduation? Or are you going to do like <laughs> Sawyer's spelling bee? And Carl and Q is like, yeah, we might use those. And I'm like, yeah, you're welcome. So, um, so anyway, they, that actually kind of you know among it was one among many questions that set them up to say we understand what you're saying and we actually are the ones who do not want to go out like the x files and have like three extra seasons seasons of stuff that makes absolutely no sense and is just about cashing checks so you know that was always the thing about those guys and they they were very analytical and in, in willing to converse with the fandom about what was working and what wasn't and i think that that's I, I wouldn't have had the, the the thick skin to do that because the Phantom could be pretty ferocious.
1: Now, is, so is it fair to to credit you for the flash forwards then?
0: Uh yes, that was <laughs> my, <laughs> my <Good>. idea. <laughs> no, I don't. No, and the the funny thing about that is that um someone. It, a friend of mine emailed me assuming that I knew that the season three finale was going to the whole thing was a flash forward and I did not know that so I walked into that like knowing something I absolutely did not want to know <laughs> and it <laughs> kind of ruined it for me so thanks a lot friend I did that to Simon I, I
2: ruined the sideways flashes for him because he knew everything else about the show so I just assumed he knew that too and he nope. didn't <laughs> so go me uh, unfortunately we, we need to wrap up do you guys have any final thoughts you'd like to touch on
0: um, just that, you know, Lost was catching lightning in a bottle in about like a, a, a hundred different ways. And I'm sad that it's not around anymore. But I'm really glad that it's one of those shows that got, kind of got to go out on its own terms and, and made that a thing, you know, show, shows going out on a, on their own terms. So um, as much as I miss it, I'm glad it's not still around, if, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. Uh Simon?
1: Um, I'm glad I watched it. All hundred and twenty episodes. I was I was gonna say hundred and twenty-one, except that my DVDs wouldn't read expose the
0: <laughs> Mickey
1: and Paolo-centric episode. Make of that what you will.
0: Oh, that's very interesting. I actually liked that one in the end. They kind of they they actually had their revenge on me. I didn't actually Yeah, I did kind of hate them. Um, it was It was a terrible like, oh. idea. But then it's like they redeemed them and I was like, Oh, wait a minute, you redeemed them and then oh, Um, yeah that was funny i
1: i just want to know when they're going to reboot it so that along with the mystery of jack's tattoos we can get we can get the mystery of his season six hair sorted out
0: (laughs) so many the beard yes oh my gosh the beard
2: um for me the last two things i would mention are first of all i appreciate how completely unvain all of this cast is, and particularly the the women, I would say, especially I was watching the finale just the other day Evangeline lily and and in particular, but also all all the women they're stripped down almost no makeup or at least made up to look like they're not wearing any makeup. They don't necessarily look that great then there's a lot of unglamorous moments over the course of the series for a lot of the cast, and I think that it's it's cool that they were willing to do that and were willing to you know go for realism over. You know, necessarily looking as pretty, I and mean, the guys. Do you actually think the guys are are more sexualized than than the women on the show most of the time?
0: They um, certainly and- had Sawyer take his shirt off a lot, which a I lot.
2: Really <laughs> and then the other thing I, I have to mention is the music on the show is fantastic. Oh,
0: right. Yeah,
2: and you just need to watch a different genre show or a time travel show. Most of them have. Terrible music, to, and compared to what Michael Giacchino is doing here, and it's it's fantastic. So I, I had to send some love there.
1: Yeah, I'd, I I would say it's like the the second most distinctive sort of uh, genre or, or mystery you know sort of long term uh, music score uh, behind Twin Peaks. I mean, it's it, it's very distinctive. It's it's not it doesn't have quite the Pavlovian effect that the Twin Peaks score has on me, but it's uh, it's certainly very memorable.
0: Absolutely. Well, uh, yeah, it definitely had a huge effect on me and how I watch shows and how the music relates to it. So for me, it's, it's right up there with the Battlestar Galactica score that, mm-hmm. um, that was also incredible. So yeah, we're lucky.
2: We need more composers like Michael Giacchino and Bear McCreary oh, scoring so for so. television and Once Upon the, Whoever's <laughs> get them on Once Upon a Time and get them on Supernatural and I will be a happy genre fan. Absolutely. Uh, um Mo thank you so much for coming on on the podcast. Where can our listeners find you?
0: Oh, uh go to huffingtonpost.com/tv. And uh, you'll see a red button that says Maureen Ryan and that that'll be my stuff. And then there's lots of other great stuff all over the site. And then if you go to um, iTunes and go to Talking TV with Ryan and Ryan, I also do a podcast with Ryan McGee. And so we talk, you know, Game of Thrones, Mad Men, whatever comes into our head. And so I just love talking about TV. So thank you for another chance to do that. Absolutely.
2: Well, anytime you want to come back, just let us know. This is a lot of fun. Anytime. Thank you. So thank you guys for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Television.